A few years ago, Newsweek uh, ran a lead article. Uh, the title of it was, quote, Silicon Valley is trying to make humans immortal and finding some success. Uh, the writer, Betsy Isaacson, this is, I'm just going to quote her opening paragraph. She says, quote, Peter Thiel, the billionaire co-founder of PayPal, plans to live to be 120. Compared with some other tech billionaires, he doesn't seem particularly ambitious. Dmitry Itzkov, the godfather of the Russian internet, says his goal is to live for 10,000 years. Larry Ellison, the co-founder of Oracle, finds the notion of accepting mortality incomprehensible. And uh, she goes on to say in the article that Sergey Brin, uh, if you're familiar with him, he's the co-founder of Google, uh, he launched uh, a company called Calico, this is back in 2013. He only had a billion dollars to do it, so he put a billion dollars into Calico. The goal, and this is in his own words, is, quote, to cure death, end quote. You may not know this, but there are some 350 people today who, who have died, and they paid well over $100,000 to have their bodies frozen in liquid nitrogen. And uh, the idea being this, that what these guys are doing, they'll be able to take advantage of because let's say in 100, 200 years, whatever killed them uh, will have a cure for that and they can be thought out and uh, cured and, and go on to live. Now, while I'm researching this, I did come across a, a problem one of these places had and, and uh, electricity went out, malfunction. We had a few meltdowns, literally. <laughs> so they're not going to get back. They're, they're done. Um, there are literally 2,000 people uh, on a waiting list to be frozen. And, and, you know, I giggle at that, but it's, you know, these guys are not dumb. I mean, we, we're talking about brilliant men and women who have started billion-dollar companies, who've created things that benefit us, and no doubt many of these things will lead to an extension of life. Uh, but we understand that uh, God, in His Word, has revealed to us, and this is our source and authority uh, uh, for, for all things life and death, uh, it's absolutely clear from Genesis to Revelation that death is not a disease that you can cure. Um, it is an inevitable reality for every human being. So the question is not really how can we cure death. A, a better question, one we might offer is, well, if death is inevitable, how are we to live in light of what you can't stop, which is death. Now, Solomon, back in chapter 7, uh, verse 2, Rob covered this weeks ago. He said, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living take it to heart. And uh, I, I know as you look up here this morning, we'll get to these things, but I have a some symbols up here that, quite frankly, I know could trigger some things for some of us in the room, and, and I apologize for that. I don't mean to use this in a way that um, in, is harmful, but I, but I also know this, and if you've been at Fellowship long, we, we, we actually value being uncomfortably real, and the, not to be weird about it, but because the Bible is uncomfortably honest, 
and more than any other passage we've been in, and we've talked about these things because it's in Ecclesiastes, Solomon invites us to the grave today. And that's why these things, uh, why I have this up here. We're going to look at the passage in three parts. I'm going to move really quick because I want to spend most of our time applying the text. What does it mean to us today? How then do we live? You know, I want to really get to that with an illustration that I'll use here. We'll do here at the end. So the text is repetitive, but we're going to move through it quickly as he adds to some things he's already said. Three parts. There's one hand, one fate, and one life. One hand, one fate, and one life. So if you think of an outline form, verse one is about one hand. Uh, Verses two to six are about one fate. And then verses seven to 10 are about one life. Look at your Bibles. If you're not there yet, you need to be in a... In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're picking up now verses 1 through 10 as we move through the book. Look at verse 1 under the heading, One Hand. Solomon writes, For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred, anything Awaits him. You know, when the Bible speaks of the hand of God, God does not have a literal hand. God is spirit. But the Bible will use these anthropomorphisms where it's, they put a human part on God in the sense to help us know what God is like. And so you know this, you use your hands to protect, to keep, to hold. So when we speak of the hand of God, uh, it, it's telling us that, that God's hand, God's hand is mighty to protect you, keep you, save you, control, rule, reign over all creation. His arm is mighty to save. It is not short to accomplish anything he desires. This is the theological term sovereignty. God is sovereign over all. God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He's over all things. It goes further and he is meticulously in control of all things. He's got the whole world where in his hands. It's everything in the hand of God. He is sovereign. Now what makes us rather uncomfortable and this really troubles Solomon is the last sentence where he says, man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. Um, this, is, this is, you know, people kind of dot, try and get around this and say, well, that's talking about man's, maybe, man may love, man may hate, whatever. But the context itself, you all, and this is how we're going to study your Bibles. What's the context? The context really tells us that he's talking about God's hate and love. And so think about what Solomon's wrestling with. He's wrestling with the same thing we do. God, you're sovereign. And then he says, and man doesn't know how that sovereignty will be expressed in this world. I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get hate from God or love from God. Now, put these words there. I don't know if God's going to reject me or I don't know if God is going to have favor on me. I I know he's in control of everything, but I don't know what's coming Now, what's the evidence he gives us for this statement that man doesn't know what's coming and anything can await him? Well, that's the second part, one fate. Look at verses two and three. It's all the way two through six, but we'll start with two and three. Well, he goes to the evidence of one fate. Here's here's why man doesn't know what awaits him. Notice this, because it's the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous 
and for the wicked, for the good and for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate, he's repeated it now twice, for all men, furthermore the hearts of men, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. The word fate is, uh, it, it, you, know, you know this, and it's in the Hebrew, it's the translation, and it means the inevitability of something. You can't stop. It is inevitable that all die. Uh, if death is inevitable, it is incurable. And then you notice this list of qualities he gives. And, and I want you to think about this in two columns because what he basically says, if I summarize this, because you notice he, he goes, there's the righteous, the good, the clean, the man who offers a sacrifice, religious sacrifice. There's the good man. There's the man who, who swears. That's not like the man who cusses. It's the man who makes an oath to God. This is about their relationship with God. So you got that on one side. And then on the other side, you got this guy who's wicked, unclean, doesn't offer sacrifices in the temple. He's a sinner, and, and he doesn't make oaths to God. So if I just boiled it down, we'd say, you got the good guy, and you got the bad guy. And you and I and Solomon would reason that while these, since these two are absolutely polar opposite, that then God would look down and these two polar opposite extremes would get different results in life, wouldn't we? Like the good guy's gonna get this and the bad guy's gonna get this. And what does he say? He says, all of them, what? Say it. They all die. I mean, morality, eat healthy, whatever you want to do, you know. Uh, no, no, everyone. From extreme to extreme. The same fate, inevitability for everyone. And Solomon goes on to say, you know, he says, this is evil. You see that in verse 3? Uh, this is an evil. And, and, and the word evil is in the emphatic position in the Hebrew text. And that just simply means the first word in that line is evil. In other words, he's saying, this is an evil and no other evil around here can match this evil. What evil? That there's good and bad, everyone dies. This is an evil under the sun. I like the way that it's the, the today's, um, today's version, uh, one of the versions of, of, of the scripture writes it. Today's English version says, this is as wrong as anything in the world, exclamation mark, and it is. He goes on, look at verses four to six. We're still talking about this one fate of death. He says, for whoever is joined with all the living, there's hope. Let me say this about this word hope. In the Bible, uh, you know, hope's used a lot. And when, when the Bible uses the word hope, it's a word that describes our, our, our eternal hope that in the end, everything's gonna be okay. The bracelet I wear, it's gonna be okay in the end because God is in control. Uh, there's three times when that word, the, the Hebrew word, for hope in that way is used, and, and this is one of them. So this is not the hope of the eternal, everything's gonna be okay. This is a very time-bound hope. It's like, look, things will turn out okay tomorrow. You know, it's, it's very near. So for whoever is joined with all the living, so if you're alive, uh, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward for their memories forgotten. 
Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal or jealousy uh, have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Uh, to, to be alive, Solomon's, you know, he's, he's going to say this, and I think we get this. He says, well, to be alive's better than to be dead. And we go, Solomon, okay, to be alive's better than to be dead. He, he says, because you have a hope, you, you it's in a weird way, he says, to be alive is to have a hope because you know you're, you're on this side of death. That's better to be on this side of death than to be dead because once you're dead and in the grave, you, you don't think, you don't reason, you don't remember, everyone's forgotten you, it's over, it's the end. Don't forget that in terms of progressive revelation of the Bible, where we are and, and what we're reading and what Solomon understood, when he looked in, at, at death, it's like death, as Rob said last week, is a wall. See, they didn't have a clear, it was very ambiguous. They didn't have a clear picture that we do with our New Testament as progressive revelation progresses and we go, wait, no, there's an eternity and a heaven with God. We'll talk about that later. But for Solomon, it's the grave and it's over, it's done. He compares it, he says, you know, it's better to be a dead dog or, 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 or a, yeah, a live dog than a dead lion. It's just this, a dog in those days, y'all, it's not like dogs we have today, you know, like our pets. I mean, we love our dogs. In that day, culturally, dogs were the least of the beasts. I mean, they were just scavengers. They ate dead things. They were nasty. Um, what, what, did the, uh, what did the Jews call the Gentiles in the New Testament? Yeah, you know, this is bad news, man. You're a dog, you know. And so, so he takes the worst, a dog, and compares it to the, the, you know, the king of the beasts, the noble lion. In our parlance, we might say it this way. You compare an, an eagle to a buzzard, you know. So, you know, it's, it's, it's better actually to be a live buzzard than to be a dead eagle. Because at least you're on this side of death. Uh, one hand, God is in control. One fate, death is inevitable. You can't stop it. One life, verses 7 through 10. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity. See, this is death. There's no activity. There's no planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. Just think death and death where you are going. Sheol in, in, in this day for them was the place of death. I want, I, I want you to understand their understanding of Sheol, like literally the netherworld, is not the same as our understanding. Again, progressive revelation gets clearer. It's not the same as hell as we understand it today. For them, it was just you die and you go to this place of nothingness where there is no uh, knowledge, no planning, no activity, no wisdom. It's the place of empty, abyss, murky, dead. Well, so what does one do with one's life before she dies then? Um, you know, he doesn't just say, so, so you die. No, he does what he's done. He's done it five times. He's introduced these 
carpe diem passages where he says, so, so eat, drink, and be merry, where are those phrases coming from? These carpe diem, seize the day passages, and this is the sixth one, okay? So, so we do what Rob encouraged us to do from last week. Again, he's repeating these things. What, so what do you do? You're going to die. Enjoy life. In the, in the moment you have, enjoy the life you have, the gifts you have, and the gift of life to the full. That's literally what he says. I love the way Rob did it last week. He was so practical. You know what? If God gives you a bike, you ride it. If God gives you a steak, you eat it. If God gives you a kite, you go fly it. If God gives you, gives you a dog, go walk it. If God gives you a cat, and then I, you know, I watched this online. I wasn't here, but he said, if God gives you a cat, and a lot of people in the room laughed, which was very offensive to me. I... Now, I uh, so I, Rob and I don't correct each other in our teaching, but I feel impelled to say something about this cat comment. Because um, I want to say this. If you, so if you have a cat, he could have easily said this. He says, you, you rub him on the forehead. And I've got a picture of this. This is Ray getting rubbed on the forehead. And see this cat? You rub a cat on the forehead, and they just go, you know, and they just do this. So that's, uh, that, that is for all of us that were offended by the cat comment, I've, I've gotten him back, right? Well, interestingly, in the last passage when Rob talked about this, chapter 8, Solomon says, I commend you. In other words, I think it'd be a good idea if you do this. Do you notice now, in this sixth Carpe Diem passage, he goes to an imperative. He's not commending, he's commanding. See, an imperative in the Bible is simply, it's a command, and here in this passage, he, he commands. Think of an exclamation mark behind each of these. There's five in 7 through 10. He says, go, eat, drink, enjoy, and do. I mean, it's with that emphasis. And I want to give you four categories that I think he gives us that are really important. It really matters. We see these in these categories. And you'll see why in a moment. Let me give you four things he says to do here. First, realize every meal is more than a meal. Real simple. Look, you need to realize every meal you eat, your lunch today, every meal is more than a meal. Um, our, our middle daughter Susan had friends from Texas in town this summer. And uh, Lisa made a dinner. We picked the night that everyone would be home. You know, Darden works, lives in Nashville now. We said, Darden, come eat dinner with us. Sally was home. Uh, so we had a dinner around the table. She made a wonderful meal. And as we all sat down to eat with Sue, our family and then her, her three friends, I said, okay, before we do this, I, I took something out and I, I want to read something to you. Of course, my kids are rolling their eyes like, oh boy, dad's got to preach again or something. But I, I read to them a very familiar passage that I've read to you. And I'll read it again. It's from Henry Nowen. He says this about a meal, we all need to eat and drink to stay alive, but having a meal is more than eating and drinking. It is celebrating the gifts of life we share. A meal together is one of the most intimate and sacred human events. Around the table, we become vulnerable, filling one another's plates and cups and encouraging one another to eat and drink. Much more happens at a meal than satisfying hunger and quenching thirst. Around the table, we become family, friends, community, yes, a body. And I said this to these friends and, you know, saying it to my own family. They've heard me say it before. And I said, you know, you may, you may never, you know, this may be meaningless to you, but I think one day when you're older, uh, you may be sitting around a meal and it dawns on you. This meal's more than a meal. 
every meal's more than a meal. And that's what Solomon says. Eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Every meal is more than a meal. That's why I love our fellowship group. We share a meal. If that's all we did, I'd be a happy camper because it's more than a meal. Secondly, he says, when it's time to celebrate, don't hold back. When it's time to celebrate, don't hold back. In this day, you know, it's verse uh, eight. Yeah, eight, let your clothes be white. In this day, you wore white because it reflects the sun. You need to wear white and, and oil, of course, you know, protects your skin. And uh, when they were in grief, times of grief, they wore sackcloth and ashes. And he's saying, man, may your clothes always be white and may have a lot of oil on your head. I mean, it's a picture of abundance. And the idea is, you know, white primarily is around celebration. Y'all, life is hard. We don't go through it celebrating all the time. But there are moments when we celebrate. And, and Solomon says, and celebrate with all you've got, you know, give it, let your hair down. I, I get to do a number of weddings, of course, and for some of you, I've had the privilege of being a part of either your wedding or your, your, your children's wedding, and, you know, I, I tell my kids this all the time, you know, when, when Lisa and I got married 27 years ago, as many of you did this, you know what we did? We got married, uh, we walked over to the fellowship hall, we had a few mints. There was some almonds, I'm sure, were there, a few cupcakes. And uh, we talked to people, and we left. And that was our wedding. Of course, that's not the way it happens today, which, you know, as the dad who's got two daughters, I don't like. But as someone who gets to go to them, I love it, you know. So I love doing that because I have sat at some of your weddings and watched you do things you normally don't do. And uh, I'm not going to name any names, but I got a friend who's a professional artist, and I saw him do the Cotton Eye Joe, which I've never seen him do that at his daughter's wedding. I mean, just craziness. And it's like, yeah, yeah, because we're celebrating. I'll do a, a baptism this afternoon for uh, Caroline Sifford, and um, her family will be there. It'll be at her grandparents' house. And I'm, I'm just telling you, so this is a moment to celebrate, okay? And Solomon says, man, when it's time to celebrate, don't hold back. I mean this when I say it. As Christ followers, our celebration should put anything on Broadway to shame when we celebrate. Third, he says, if you're married, see your spouse in you every day. See your spouse in you every day if you're married. And I say that because the word enjoy there is literally, literally the word see. See your spouse in you every day because you know how familiarity just makes you not appreciate things? Uh, we were in Paris, you can, maybe you've traveled, you can go anywhere, but I remember when we were in Paris a few years back, we went to Paris, the family, and I'm telling you, when, when we're there, you know, when you go to Paris in the first time, you just walk around like this, you don't even know, you know, you're just, everything, your head's just like this, but when the Parisians are in Paris, how do they walk through Paris? I mean, you know what I'm saying, they, they don't care, they don't say, it's not a bad thing, but it's just the familiarity, they don't care, and, and God's just saying, I'm going to say to you guys, men, if, if you're married, Look and see your wife anew every day. She's changing right before you. And he just says, man, see her anew. You don't have much time. Appreciate and enjoy. Fourth, 
Uh, and this one is one I was telling, you know, this is what this is about. And I, I grabbed this to say, uh, I'm going to use it this way. Uh, verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Just get in there and do it. And I'm going to say it this way. Whistle while you work. Anybody got that one? Give it a try. You know, I watched the video on this, and you know when Snow White, it's, there, it's when the animals are cleaning that grungy cottage, you know, that the dwarfs have lived in forever, right? So when he, the animals are cleaning and she starts whistling that tune, they're working, but their work doesn't seem like work to them. See, that's the point. Now, I, I want to remind us, work is not a part of the curse. Work is pre-fall. Work, by the way, look at what he describes it here. You know, if the hand finds to do it, there's no activity, planning, knowledge. Or was, listen, our work is godlike. What do you do in work? You create. You resolve problems. You build things. You make. You help. You, that's all godlike, you see. Whistle while you work. It's a gift. I'll repeat these. Realize every meal is more than a meal. When it's time to celebrate, don't hold back. If you're married, see your spouse anew every day and whistle while you work. Gift, 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 gift. Life is gift, not gain. Look back at verse 7. I skipped a phrase, and let me clarify it. He says, go then eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For, because God has already approved your works, let me be very clear. He's not talking about salvation here. He's not talking about justification. He's not talking about you can do something bad. God's approved it. You're good. We stay in our context. We go, what's this whole section about? He's talking about life and the gifts of God. When someone gives you a gift, what's the thing you can do with the gift that would let the person who gave it feel delight? Oh, thank you. I, I may use this someday. And then let's go do something else. No. What would you do? You t- oh, my gosh. This is awesome. Let's do this right now. You know, it's in the same way God has said, gift, 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 gift. God's approved of you enjoying these gifts. Enjoy the gifts. That's the idea in that phrase. God has accepted it. One hand, God is in control. Yes, of the whole world. The universe is in his hand. Uh, There is one fate for all men, whether you're good, bad, ugly, indifferent. There's one fate. You die, and there is one life. Gift from God. Delight in it while you can. I want you to close your Bibles. I want you to put your pens away, and we are going to talk for a moment very personally about what this means and how we apply this to ourselves today. Uh, One of my favorite you know, 70s singer-songwriters that I still always listen to today, Dan Fogelberg, in his song, uh, In the Passage, he says, and in the passage from the cradle to the grave, we are born madly dancing, rushing headlong into the crashing of the days. We run on and on without a backward gaze. We run on and on without a backward gaze. Now, I want to do this today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move us from the cradle to the grave, but it's not about a backwards gaze. I'm going to actually ask you to, to look in front of you and get a forward gaze. And then I'm going to ask you to even lift your gaze a little bit higher. So 
I'm just gonna have a, have a bit of a, a conversation with you if I may, and, and I hope this helps us apply this. You know, we're not meant to just know this and go, okay, everyone's gonna die, live good now, enjoy. No, 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 let's see what the Spirit says to us out of this and how we apply it. I was born May 30th, 1960. In, uh, at, at Methodist Hospital in downtown Memphis. Any, anybody born with me in Memphis, downtown? One over there, too. There's a few of us born. Oh, there you go, in downtown Methodist Hospital. Um, so what, I've, what I'm going to use to symbolize this, I was born, and so, you know, I've got my iPhone, but the fact is this is the new watch, right? So when somebody says, what time do you pull out your phone? So I'm going to say I was given, when I was born, I was given some time. I don't know how much time, but I was given time. Um, this is very uh, high level, as you'll notice, but, you know, I'm born, most of us, you know, spend our, our, our youth in education, so we're in school. Uh, I graduated from a, a Northwest High School in Clarksville, Tennessee in 1978. I graduated from UT Knoxville in 1982, um, and so I'm going to say, you know, all through my life, and even when I was born, I was actually, I was given time, but I was also embedded with some strengths and weaknesses and, and we'll call them talents, so to speak, things I learn and skills, et cetera. And so I've got a Leatherman in my hand. You guys know what a Leatherman is. It's one of those tools that can do 12 things, you know, et cetera. And so I was given some, some talents to use that were a part of me and how I was wired and my education helped me develop those talents, you know. So uh, I'm born, I, I graduate college and after college, got a job. I've been working ever since. Um, I got married. Lisa and I were married in 91. Um, we have three kids, Darden, Susan, and Sally. Um, did I mention I got a job? I got a job, and I'm working. And over time, you know, uh, I, I, I get paid. By the way, now I get paid twice a month is how I get paid. And so we pay our bills, um, Lisa uh, volunteers at school. She's done that from the very beginning when the kids started school. Um, we like, you know, we can go on vacation when we can. We want to do that. We, we, uh, with, with, did I tell you I had a job? I have a job, and I get paid, and that's what this represents. So I've got time. I've got talent. You know where this goes. I've got time, talent, treasure. I've got this, and, and I've also got something else for my treasure because we got three kids. They all drive, and do you know we're a family. We have five cars. That's unreal. That's unbelievable. That's wrong. And, it, and, it, and all of them are high mileage, but five cars. And, and there's also a house key on here. We own a home. Um, we have, uh, I've got insurance and, uh, you know, we, we uh, did I mention I have a job? I have a job. I get paid twice a week and we pay our bills. And um, there, we do have some savings and uh, the church has a 401k, you know, that we, we have. And um, this, this is my life. This is what we do. And, and. Uh, I'm on this side of the grave, but what Solomon is saying is it's inevitable. I will die. You know, we all, we all will die. And, you know, we often live life, it, just an interesting picture for you. We often live life like this. We know we're somewhere between the cradle and the grave, and, 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 and we kind of feel like we're over here, you know. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is when you took your first breath, okay, you started living your life not you started, actually started living your life like this. Your whole life's lived like this. Your whole life's right. This is where we go. 
And uh, so did I mention I have a job? I get paid twice a week. I pay my bills. We have friends. It's just kind of life. And so one day I'll die. And when I die, all that I have, everything, I'm telling you, money, house, everything, um, it's, it, it stays there. I don't, I don't take it with me. And in Solomon's view, understand, he sees this and he goes, and that's it. This, then you go to Sheol, you know, just that's it as far as he could see at this time. And that makes total sense then, doesn't it, when people view that as the end? And if, you, if you're this side, you would go, well, then make the most of your life, right? That's, and Solomon's saying that, enjoy your life, you know, because you have one. And it will end, and when it ends, it's over. Now, let me, let me, let me tell the story again. Okay, I, I told you I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to retell my story. Let me add something, something really important. So I was born May 30th, 1960. Sometime in 1978, it was my senior year in high school, and I don't know, I can't tell you the day in a moment, but somewhere in there, y'all, in God's kindness, he opened my eyes and I believed the gospel. I believed that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried, he rose again, and he did it for me. And that when I trusted in Jesus, that he forgave me of all my sins, clothed me in his righteousness, his spirit indwelt me. The Bible says I was reborn. I was born again. So, so I have a physical birth, and, and, and all, we all do. You're sitting in the room, but all of us don't have a spiritual birth. Well, I did, because I put my faith in Christ. And this spiritual birth is what makes a big, well, that's an understatement, makes the difference in this, death. So now I'm a Christian. I'm 18 years old. I want you to know I'm 58 today. It has been 40 years of Heaven and hell. I'm telling you, it's not been easy. It's been awesome. It's been terrible. It's been good. And, and I've got five steps forward, 18 steps back, two steps forward, three steps back. You know, it's not a perfect line of growth to 58. But I will say, during this time, with the help of others and helping me understand the Bible, I, I began to understand more about the Christian life. And not right away, but sometime in there, I, be, I, I learned that, I learned this. I learned that there's two things that last forever. Only two, the word of God and the souls of men. That's all. So that microphone's not going to last forever. This clothes aren't going to last forever. Uh, my body's not going to last. He says, but my soul will last forever. So the word of God and the souls of men. And, and you know, I don't, I can't explain this fully, but, but when I kind of understood that, I thought, well, then I need to, I need, you know, I want to live my life then for something that lasts forever. And so I want to, I want to take my time, and I want to take my uh, talents, and I want to take, you know, any treasure God gives me, little or much, and I want to use it all. Uh, you know, I really like to use it all to help people come to know God, because the Word of God's last forever, so I'm going to help them know the living Word of God, Christ, and the Word of God, so that they will live forever with God. Does this make sense? And y'all, I'm not special. There's nothing unique about me, and you may say, well, yeah, Lloyd, because then you became a missionary, and now you're a pastor. Well, I, this was my particular uh, venue, so to speak, calling, vocation, whatever, but you got to understand, this is true for every Christian. This is true. If you know Jesus, 
then you have time, talent, and treasure, and God invites you to use your time, talent, and treasure, every bit of it, however much he gives you, to help people know Christ and grow in Christ. That's the bottom line. And what God does, and this is his genius, thank goodness, he doesn't call all of us to be preachers and pastors, which I'm a very reluctant pastor, never wanted to be, you know, and, and don't at times still, you know. So it's, I'm, but that's, it's just like you got a job, Right? You got a job and there are times you go, I don't like my job. So do I. So there, you know. So it's just this, that God invites all of us and in his wisdom, get this, he puts you in a specific family. He puts you in a country. He puts you in a neighborhood. He puts you in a, a job that, I don't go to your job, you go to your job. And you're around people that I never get around. And you go in ball fields and do things that I never am around because he puts his people in, their, in certain places with their time, talent, and treasure so that they in that place would help people know Christ and grow in Christ. Does this make sense? This is, the, this is what we live on life. This is why we live life. And so in my life, if I can, if I can say it this way, and I want you to see this, so I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask this whole row right here, okay? You guys are to come up on stage with me. I'm sparing my wife, who's on the front row, and my daughter. So you guys come up here and just stand up here. So again, visually, I want you to see this. Somewhere, just stand right there, just line up. Somewhere along the way, I, um, I'm 18 years old, and I didn't do this right away, my goodness, but somewhere along the way, I'm living my life, and I go, I, you know, the word of God, the souls of men last forever. So I said, I want to I live my life in such a way that I, I want to help Trenton, you know, know Christ and grow in Christ. Or whoever God puts in my path, you see. I want to come alongside Sid and help him as he's teaching the word, help him teach it better and help him grow in it. So, so, so I'm living my life for the word of God and the souls of men. Um, now, I'm not there yet, but I will die. And when I do, Time, talent, treasure, I don't get to take that with me. Now, I'm going to show you what death is for the Christian, and you're going to have to pay really close attention. Death's the separation of the soul from the body. So in the moment my soul separates from the body, I'm dead, but this is what happens. Did you get that? It's like you die, and my soul is now with God. And now you see I'm in the presence of Christ forever. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Now, what I want you to get a picture of is, and I'll say more about this in a moment, about heaven and being with, with, you know, with God and new heaven and new earth. All my time, talent, and treasure, I don't get to bring that with me, per se. But, you know, one day, you know, say when, when Melissa passes away, I'm sorry, Melissa, but it's your time, <laughs> and you go over, she, uh, because maybe indirectly, directly, somehow I helped her know Christ or, you know, then, then my future is going to be populated not with my time, talent, and treasure, but only what my time, talent, and treasure did for the hearts and souls of men. And so my future is with you, with, with others, you see. This is our future that we were made for. But we use all that stuff on that side of the grave, okay, in order to help people live on this side of the grave. Melissa, you, can, you stay there. Now, it doesn't always happen like this, but Jeff, you, if you stepped up, I mean Scott, not Jeff, Scott, <laughs> I'm looking, step all the way over. 
So, so you know, and this is, this is real, and this is where I go. I know this triggers something in some. You know, for, for Trenton and, and Hallie, there'll be a day when your mom and dad are gone, right? And uh, that, it, look, look, this doesn't take away the sting of death. Death is wrong. It stings. But in Christ, the sting doesn't last. So I don't want to diminish the horror of death. And you'll grieve, but you won't grieve as those who have no hope because your mom and dad have led you to faith in Christ. And they know one day they'll be with mom and dad forever. Some of us, some of us, my mom and dad, God in his grace, my brother and I were used to lead my mom and dad later in life to faith in Christ. My mom and dad are in heaven. Some of us have children that go before us. I can't explain that. But I'll tell you, God will do things in our lives that make us long for home. Because what we forget is, anything on this side of the grave, can I say this? The Bible says, this isn't home. Oh, I know it's home. I love it. I want to this is not home. Home is three feet over here. This is what you were made for. I don't care if you live... One year or 120, it ends. Life over here never ends. Now, 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 I want you to watch this. And this is why I said those four categories are so important. Now, in time, you know, Solomon says, you know, you can die. So, you know, enjoy your meals, man. Celebrate when it's time to celebrate. You know, look at the eyes of your, of, of your wife, of your youth. You go to friendships, relationships, revel in them. And you know what? Whistle while you work, while you're alive. Take all, you know, it's like do all of that and use your time, talent, and treasure to help people to reach the souls of men with the word of God. That, that's our job description. Now watch this. And when you die, and you will, and you are with God, Face to face, do you know what you and I will be doing forever on this side of the grave? Guess. We will be eating meals that are phenomenal, a wedding feast that he describes. We will be celebrating without sin. We will be relating without sin. And by golly, don't miss this. We will be working. Working? I want to retire. No, no, without the weeds. We'll be working in resurrected bodies. Can you imagine what it would be like to plan and think and create and solve and build forever with God? This is our future, not sitting around. I'm going to let you guys step back over to that side symbolically. And you guys can sit down. Thank you for coming up here. Okay, you can. If anyone wants to, they can. I'm going to invite the band to come back out. See, now we've got to wrestle with this. So, so it's not just a text, it's a living word. And if you're sitting here looking at me or watching online, then you have hope because you're alive. You're on this side of the grave. Now the question is, 
What are, you, what, are you, what are you living for? I cannot, I will not take any of this with me. But they're all gifts. So God gives it to me in, in time to steward and use for his glory and his purpose. Let's stand together. We thought it would be very appropriate to celebrate this picture of a grave is weighty on, on us, and it is. I don't, again, I don't want to take away the pain of the grave, but we dare not miss the power and the beauty of the cross. And we'll say these words as we sing, death, you see, in Christ was arrested. What do you mean it was arrested? What we mean when we say that is death was bound up. Death was put in its place. Death is now powerless. Now, again, we die, but it's powerless in the sense that we, it can't jump up and hold us. No, our future is secure with Christ forever because of Christ. And as a community of faith, let us affirm that by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Father, for those of us who have placed our trust in Christ, we ask that by your Spirit you would make us a people absolutely intent on living our lives for your purposes and your kingdom, which means we ultimately live to see the Word of God engage the souls of men, women, and children. That's our purpose, regardless of our vocation. And Lord, a year ago, we put some names on a card and, and we said, these are people we know who don't know Christ. We, we remind ourselves today, Lord, to pray for them. Would you bring them to faith? We can't do it. Reason can't do it. Arguing can't do it. Only your spirit. Open their eyes to believe and trust. Thank you for your word today, a hard word, a word of hope. In Christ's name, amen, and God bless.